0: Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where Catholic truth is served fresh daily. We've made you a reservation in the luxurious corner booth, so come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski.
1: Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe, and I'm sitting here with Sam Ziggy Rodriguez. Yes. So I'll tell you what, Sam, we are so lucky that this is a uh, not only a luxurious corner booth, but a large corner booth. Oh, yes. And so we can actually do our social distancing right here in the Catholic Cafe. Uh, Tom isn't with us, and uh, so we're going to alternate, I think, a little bit. But we've got a nice long... I must be about six feet between you and I.
0: Yes, and the waitress is she's tossing the pancakes <laughs> yeah, exactly. like a frisbee, They're, and it's do,
1: fantastic. We are we are doing our part, and uh, we don't want to make light of uh, what's going on because it's a it's a scary time for the world. Mm. Uh, certainly, right now, a lot of a uh, lot of stuff's happened, and uh, the news seems to change every day, but it doesn't seem to get any better. Um, and and when and when there's a glimmer of hope, it seems like there's just also uh, uh, some kind of shade of uh, darkness that comes too. And uh, I don't know, people can easily go back and forth between uh, I don't know, just the the idea of it's this is never going to end, or that that it's looking better you know and it's like it's just a it's a roller coaster
0: well there's difficulties that we share as a people as a society wrestling with how to even process this and then there are those individually who have suffered uh just incredible tragedies that they never could have expected
1: yes i tell you what i agree and so here so this uh this show i'm going to call it viral faith and the reason why i call it that is because we're, we're acknowledging the fact that there's this virus it's sort of uh you know, essentially attacking the world, uh, attacking our spirits, um, and, I, and I'm not going to claim that this virus is of the devil or or caused by, you know, an angry Mother Earth or any of these things. The, the reality is, um, you know what, this is fallen nature. Mm. I mean, in the same way that uh, heart attacks and cancer and bad things happen in nature, you know, a, a virus is part of nature and nature is fallen in, in the same way. Uh, so if we want to blame anybody, blame Adam and Eve, I guess. You know, going all the way back. But the reality is, uh, it's still devastating for a lot of people. And uh, but this is happening at an interesting time because um, here we are um, in in Easter time, mm-hmm. right? And and this, this message of Easter joy and uh, Christ overcoming death and overcoming sin and reuniting us and uh, reconciling us to the Father, and it's like. This is normally such a happy time, and I, I'm just—I'm willing to bet that no one listening right now, no one alive right now, has ever experienced an Easter quite like this one.
0: Well, and you hear all the time. I've in my life, I've not yet had the experience of. But you're only twelve. Of, so, I mean, yeah. I, I'm, I'm this many <laughs> of, of losing, for example, a loved one or having uh, a yeah. serious tragedy yeah. on a holiday like Christmas or Easter, and for those when they suffer through that. You know, it, it forever changes how they see, process, and experience those holidays. You're exactly right,
1: and I've got family members who have had that very experience, mm. right? And you think about it, and it's like, and you, and I always often wonder, like, well, does that ruin Christmas forever? Right? You know, or and for some people, it it always it adds another complexity, another layer to that particular. Holiday.
0: It does, although one thing that's beautiful about our faith, our viral faith, is the fact that suffering and redemptive suffering plays such a central role. Right. It, and so the season of joy and the season of renewal and growth that we're currently in. Yes, that even in times of darkness and pain and suffering. Light and love persist, and
1: that's that's what happened at the first Easter. I mean, essentially, I, I, I'm participated in the Easter vigil. And it was really, I don't want to say bizarre because that sounds bad. Do you say that about a mask? But Still, Easter it, it, vigil was bizarre. But there I was. Uh, it was just me and Father Geo. Right. And there was like one other guy in the room, and that was the guy that was doing the the recording thing or running the the um, the live stream thing, right? And so. You know, so it was me and Father Geo and this guy named Jacob, and it was like, normally the Easter Vigil is filled with people who stand there holding candles, and mm. but it's this. It was the same thing. I mean, it was it was the, you know the Easter message, right? It's it's Easter night. It's that night um, uh, where we uh, lie awake in vigil, you know, awaiting the realization of the resurrection. And so it was just kind of profound to me to be thinking, uh, and then seeing the image of the Easter candle, which I think the Easter candle is my favorite part of Easter, mm. just because it's such a simple and such a profound image, right, that, that essentially is just the light of Christ,
2: yes.
1: right? And, and the deacon that carries the, the light of Christ into the darkened church, and the people follow, right and then they light their candles from the easter candle and all of a sudden the church is bathed in Christ's light you know that dispels the dark darkness dispels the fear dispels the anxiety and reconciles us to the father and makes everything right again right the, that's why they call jesus the new adam and so there's something profound and beautiful about that although this one was bizarre again because mm. there was nobody in the room right and yet there's still the reality of easter and i guess i want to remind folks that Easter is still real, and that even 2,000 years ago, the devil tried everything he could to stop Easter, mm-hmm. but he couldn't. And so, Easter's not going to be stopped, then, or ever. I mean, certainly not ever, because, I mean, that Easter candle is, is lit, he even tried to drive Jesus' best friends, his
0: chosen apostles, away from Easter, right. away from thinking the possibility of Easter being possible, and the glorified body of Jesus walked through the wall of yeah. the room in which they had gathered. Where they to make were, their himself. knees were
1: knocking, yes, right, for fear exactly. of the Jews, it says, <laughs> you know, and so um, I guess we all just need to realize this and realize that Easter has happened, it continues to happen and it forever will happen because of what jesus did on that first easter sunday right in, yes. in the resurrection so it's not going anywhere so we just need to realize that and, and another beautiful image and understanding about our, our our theologically about our faith is that easter is um essentially eternal um and so like there's there's no time in heaven in the same mm-hmm. way we measure time you don't need a wristwatch there's no apple watches in heaven right you can't take those with you uh, i think it <laughs> says that in the instru- instructions in the apple watch i'm not sure i don't have one but um but you don't need a watch in heaven because there's no time in heaven mm-hmm. right everything has happened is happening and will happen at the same time and so what that means is jesus was victorious over the devil then now and forever right so you, you don't have so all we need to do is I mean the devil can't win. Right. No matter how many spooky movies you see, the devil cannot win. The only thing the devil can do is to steal us individually from God. Wow, yeah. Right? And so so we just need to realize just we need to know we need to have that viral faith. We need to have a strong faith and then share that faith with others because that's the faith that will get each of us individually through this thing called life, right, into eternal life living where we're called to be living.
0: One thing that occurs to me as I'm hearing what you're saying is right now, It's okay for us to admit to ourselves, regardless of whether or not we've lost a loved one here through this, that we've experienced some degree of wounding, I think, as a people and individually, just not knowing how to process the pain of this or the pain of others around us. And when we experience wounding, our church gives us the ability to unite our wounds with Christ on the cross. And it also gives us the opportunity to unite our wounds to the glorified body of Christ. That healing doesn't mean that our wounds disappear. Like, I had a paper cut, now I don't see where I had a paper cut anymore, you know. God can glorify our wounds and transform them, that they can be a a conduit and and testimony to his love and his grace. And so that is how we can be an Easter people amidst this, is not asking us to no longer have wounds, but says admit that we have wounds, unite our wounds to Christ on the cross and to him and his body glorified.
1: People always wonder why it is that we we Catholics love to have our crucifixes, whether they're hanging around our neck or hanging in our kitchen or in our bedroom or wherever we are, And, and certainly in Every church, and it's because we preach Christ crucified, mm. right? And we always want to be able to unite ourselves to that suffering. And so, what you're talking about, this redemptive suffering, is something it's not easy to do. And I'm not going to just, you know, joyfully and gleefully say it's okay. You know, we but we can I mean, pray joy- for it.
0: We can pray. We can for pray
1: it. for that grace um, and, and that we can receive that. And I and I believe that God answers those prayers. And I'm just saying that don't expect it to be easy, but expect it to be fruitful. And yes. powerful, right? Yes. Because uh, some of the people that I've known, I, I remember spending time, uh, I went uh, to Africa for a bit, uh, and, and really, in, but what was then called uh, Zaire, which is now back to being called Congo. And this is the, like one of the more poor, desolate places where people make on an average of like, like 10 bucks a year. It's, it's, mm. just, they're just, it's just devastating how poor it is. And, uh, and, the, and the thing is, um, there was such joy in these people. I, maybe it's because they'd learned to live without mm-hmm. certain possessions and things, but I, I think all of them had some kind of a, a connection with, with Easter, uh, with certainly with suffering, but then also with Easter, and they didn't lose that. And they, they, their faith was profound. that was very moving. Uh, for me as a young man who wasn't particularly faithful at the time, I still remember that, and now as I become more faithful and more uh, spiritually mature, I can look and I can see what I what I couldn't see then. Uh, that affected me positively back then But now I know why
0: As you're saying this, I'm reminded of Bishop Barron's Reflections on the Beatitudes, beginning with The po- poverty and spirit, moving to Blessed are those who mourn, for they Shall be comforted, and yeah. he interprets That to mean, blessed are you who Are not addicted to good feelings Yes, yeah. because if we think That we have to have good feelings Then life is not going to work out Amen, <laughs> you know? no, I totally, I
1: totally Get it, so um, and the other thing is, uh, so, so look at that crucifix in your house when you're starting to feel that way. Mm. Just look at it. And, and then unite whatever suffering. And Lord Jesus, take this and lay it at the foot of that cross, the, the cross you're looking at, right? Yes. Um, and, you know, if you forget what it's like to, for the Easter vigil or for mass or, or whatever you're not experiencing now, and, and you forget what it is to understand Jesus as the, as the light of the world, then then light a candle yes. and then stare into the flame. Just literally stare into that flame and let your senses uh, just now reside in that flame. Feel the warmth uh, and see the beauty of that flame and realize that Christ is present with you right then and there. And that's the that's your Easter candle. Saint right?
0: Francis of Assisi said, "All the darkness of the world can't put out the light of a single candle." Amen.
1: So let's let's remember that. So um, that's our first kind of message uh, today. Is still how, having a, a happy Easter, uh, you know. But at the same time, you know. Experiencing this virus, to, to use the virus against itself, you know, to have a mm. viral faith, mm. uh, you know, that, that, that overcomes the, uh, the, the negative part of a, of a coronavirus or any other kind of sickness or grief or, or uh, uh, devastation that we experience. But to realize this viral faith is possible, it's only possible because of what Jesus did on the cross, to realize that Easter overcomes everything, Right when we allow that to happen. So we have more to talk about. We're going uh, to talk when we get back after a break. But before we take that break, I want to remind everyone at home, we've got a great website, thecatholiccafe.com. Also, I would love to hear from you. Send me an email, deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com.
0: Also, like us on Facebook, on Instagram, and Twitter. Like and share our posts and comment on them. It makes a difference. And with that, we'll be right back.
2: I'm Bess Drosimski, and this is another great moment in church history. How can someone so small and weak in the eyes of the world have such a tremendous impact on the spiritual lives of millions around the globe? Saint Therese of Lisieux, better known as the Little Flower, was this small person. Born in France over a century ago, she has changed the spiritual landscape of the entire world. Saint Therese believed that little things done with great love were more pleasing to God than the mightiest deeds. She wrote, Love proves itself by deeds, so how am I to show my love? Great deeds are forbidden me. The only way I can prove my love is by scattering little flowers. And these flowers are every little sacrifice, every glance and word, and the doing of the least action for love. The little flower grew up as the youngest of five living children. She was a sensitive child who felt things deeply. These deep feelings and her thoughtful attitude led her to a strong prayer life at a very young age. By her own account, she would find a quiet place and spend hours contemplating the love of the Heavenly Father. As Therese entered her teen years, her older sisters began to go into religious life. This led the little flower to seek entrance to the Carmelite monastery at the tender age of 14. She was initially refused by the superiors of the order, but her persistence paid off by taking her appeal all the way to the Pope in Rome. The superiors of the Order were impressed by her persistence and maturity and allowed her to enter the Carmelite Order at the age of 15. The next nine years were spent in quiet contemplation and service inside the tiny convent in Lesseux. Toward the end of her time in the convent she began to suffer from the effects of tuberculosis. Tuberculosis, a deadly infectious disease that attacks the lungs, leaves the sufferer with a chronic cough, fever, night sweats, and weight loss. St. Therese suffered seriously from this disease. She was reported to have said, I have reached the point of not being able to suffer anymore because all suffering is sweet to me. She accepted her affliction as a gift from God and saw it as a sign of his friendship with her. Little everyday things done in great love can lead us to a life of grace and deeper union with Christ. The little flower can show us the way. I'm Bess and this is another great moment in church history.
0: Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff.
1: And we're back socially distanced here in the luxurious corner booth at the Catholic Cafe i 'm um, sitting here with Sam Rodriguez, and we are talking about uh having a viral faith amidst the viral crisis that we 're experiencing right now with the coronavirus um, and certainly we uh we just we pray uh, specifically Sam and I do all of us here at the Catholic cafe that that this is over soon, but at the same time, you know what at the same time we don 't have any control over any of that. all we can do all we can control is how we re- react. And and essentially, sometimes how we feel. So, the thing is, we just need to unite our suffering to Christ on the cross. Um, And I I know that in these difficult times, Sam, you've probably uh, uh, being a sort of a a social media kind of guy. You've probably seen a lot of vitriol and hate and things. uh, A lot of people complaining about a lot of stuff.
0: Oh sure, right.
1: Whenever you get cooped up, I can imagine. You know, in the old days uh you know being on a uh being a sailor on a ship you know the old wooden uh mast ships you know going across the the atlantic or the pacific you know for who knows, like six months or something, you know, get, you, you get, when you get cooped up, you get a little crazy. Well,
0: there's a lot of finger pointing and stuff as well, but a lot of times the fingers are pointing in the same directions that they were already pointing. They're just a little bit madder this time. Yeah, I know. And so
1: I, I would imagine like three months into a journey, you know, you didn't, you didn't complain about the chicken nuggets, you know, on the, on the ship anymore, because you might be walking the plank. Just, right, right. You know, whereas on the first day, it's like, oh, oh, oh everybody laughs. It gets tougher when, yes. we're, when we're in uh, um, isolation, right, when when we're quarantined. And, and that just, it gets, it's harder to deal with. Um, and I think that, unfortunately, some of our bishops have gotten um, an unholy amount of uh, criticism.
0: Oh, I've seen, definitely seen a lot of that. And yeah.
1: here's the thing, uh, right or wrong about decisions that get made, and I, I'm not here to judge any... Um, Bishop deciding to have masses or not have masses, you know, and I have personal feelings about those things, but I'll be honest with you, I wouldn't want to be the one making that decision.
0: You know, if I'm being honest with myself and with everybody, when when masses first started getting shut down, my response uh, when it was happening elsewhere, I was upset and I thought, oh my gosh, I can't believe they're doing that. I can't believe they're doing that. But then once it kind of came to my town and my diocese, I... I have such a deep trust of my own bishop and a love right. for my own bishop, and I know his heart for us, and I know right. the last thing he'd want to do is keep us away from the sacraments. Like he's
1: sitting in a room thinking of ways in which to make Sam Rodriguez miserable. <laughs> you know? I, now, and I and I get it, and I think, but I think a lot of people go like, "Don't these bishops know they're just they're they're stupid? How can they not know that what we need at this time?" You know, I've heard that argument. Like, what we need more than ever is Eucharist, and, and to not have public masses is is terrible. And then also, uh, people who will 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 say that uh, um, of all the things that they you know that that we look out the world and the government says, um, well, grocery stores need to stay open, you know, and uh, if you need to go and buy Easter candy, you should be able to buy Easter candy at Target. Right, but you can't go to mass. Right, the government wants that shut down, and that the the bishops were weak to fall the, under their spell, as it were. And and I just don't believe it can be farther from the truth. And this is where here now again, this might challenge a few people who are listening right now. But, but you know what? I just I feel the need to kind of challenge here and to say, have we forgotten what a mass is
0: mm-hmm. and
1: what happens at mass? Right, and, and this idea that we have to actually be sitting in that room. And then also receive the Eucharist for that Mass to be valid. Right. right. For the graces that come from that Mass do not actually require us. Now, as the body of Christ, that's, that's something that we look forward to. And, and that's a beautiful grace poured into us, literally, uh, divine love poured into us through Eucharist when we receive at Mass. But, but it shows to me sometimes that we might look at um, Eucharist as, as some kind of penicillin. Mm-hmm. To be injected into a sick body. Now, I I, I I do think there are medicinal qualities to Eucharist. Yes, but we need to understand the supernatural graces that come, even when we don't physically ingest the Eucharist. And I and I know again that might uh, that might be something that uh, some people vehemently disagree. And I respect the fact that you, you disagree with it. And I would like to be receiving the Eucharist um, with everyone else. Right uh with with the public and public masses but i want people to understand a basic truth and that is that that while public masses may have been stopped the graces that come from the everyday private masses mm-hmm. do not stop
0: you know the other thing that
1: comes to mind
0: is is the, the that classic difference between either or and both and yes. that we in the catholic church often find, right. find we ourselves right we're, we're the both and and you know through a, more at least a thousand years of the of the church's history It was very rare for the laity to be able to receive the Eucharist, right? Right. And in the age of of,
1: of Vatican II, that's why one of the precepts is receive at least once a year. At least
0: once a year, right? And within the within the 20th century, the latter half of the 20th century, early 21st century, in the wake age of Vatican II, people have gotten used to receiving the Eucharist regularly. Many of us daily, but the the issue is, I think is I, I think if we're honest with ourselves, there's a lot of folks in the church. Who've come to take the Eucharist for granted and yeah. have not given it the level of respect that it deserves. And now if we're as we're waiting and waiting as a people to receive it again, it builds up with us. I think it gives us an opportunity to have a renewed desire and respect for what it really is. The body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ taken into our taken into us. That is such a serious thing. And we can't presume to say that we're entitled. Yeah, to I it. know.
1: Now I will say this: um, sometimes I, I start to feel that I, I, I've just I've I've stopped short of judging anyone who feels that way. Oh, sure. Just because the reality is these are these are strange times.
0: It's frustrating for many. It's I'm frustrated that I can't take it, but I'm just asking, I'm trusting that God's going to use this fruitfully. Well,
1: and and so some evidence of that. Uh, one of the things a lot of people don't realize is. Because some people were upset, like, how dare any, like a bishop stop man? How, how dare they stop the sacraments? Well, first of all, they're like my church, my parish does drive, uh, drive by, drive through confessions. Yes. Right. But then they do, they did, for Easter, they did drive by blessings. We drove by and they we had the Eucharist there and gave us a benediction, right? We had palms handed out. You know, in the parking lot as people drove by. And the thing is, there are, there, there are sacraments and sacramentals happening in the church. Yes, um, There are some, in some places, it's very difficult for anointings, but there are some brave priests who have been going to anoint those who are dying. Um, and the other thing is, I want people to understand something. Um, the, the, the Bible tells us that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, which means he's not bound by the laws of the Sabbath. Yes. Right? And so the fact that we can't participate in certain rituals doesn't mean that we can't receive the graces and the mercy and the love of God by trusting in him, by believing in him, by having faith in him, by having a viral faith that then takes off and other people start to share. And I guess what I'm saying is there's a time we will come back. And for those who say, like, how dare a bishop stop Mass Well it's like You know what you, If you're Catholic And you've been Catholic A long time I hope you know That there are no masses On Good Friday Right Even though you may Receive communion When you go to That Good Friday uh, uh, Passion um, Service Service That's part of The Easter Triduum the reality is, that's not a Mass. And then on Holy Saturday, there's no Masses. Mm-hmm. And, and weddings uh, are forbidden. You're not supposed to have... There's things you aren't supposed to do on Easter Saturday, or I'm sorry, on Holy Saturday, uh, until the Easter Vigil that night. So there is a prohibition of certain sacraments and sacramentals that happens every triduum,
0: And we've right? just gone through a Holy
1: Saturday on steroids, Absol- as you've said. As, absolutely. So it's like, this is like big time. It's just, it just is, It just means that it's going to be over. Right, And when it's over, it's going to be so much more joyous to some of us who might have, as you say, taken for granted. I'm not quite as judgmental as you are. But
0: but, but, <laughs> but, but some people, I'm not saying any of our listeners, right. but some people out there, we've all seen folks kind of take the Eucharist in a ho-hum way.
1: Well, and so this is an opportunity for us when we can't receive to be united in that, in that, that desire, that yearning, Right. Like a deer that yearns for running streams, yes. I mean, we are just we are there and ready to uh and ready to receive so that it's kind of like uh me going to Philmont Scout Ranch and having you know ten days of cold showers or no showers. And then, like, having a four-hour-long hot shower. How wonderful, how beautiful that is. Yeah. That's what it's going to be like when we go back to Mass. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's so beautiful. So don't take it out on your bishops. Don't get ma- angry and mad. Just long more profoundly, more deeply for the Eucharist. You know, and the last thing I'd, I'd want to tell you is just a, a reality. Think back to your first Holy Communion. Think back to your little white dress or your little white suit that you wore with your hands folded like in the second grade. Or maybe you were an older person, you you were a convert, and that first time you received Holy Eucharist, the grace that you received at that Eucharist is sufficient to get you to heaven. And and I'm not saying we should never receive again. I'm just saying we've got to trust that God, uh, in His wisdom, all-powerful, infinite, eternal, supernatural, it's sufficient to get us to heaven. It's got everything you need to make you a saint. Amen. That's right. And so just remember that you've been baptized into Jesus, that you've received Him in Eucharist. Let that grace... It's, it's still there, present in you. That grace is still there, you can, present. Pray, you can pray to be renewed
0: in all the Eucharistic graces you've received throughout your whole life.
1: And so now we we turn to our mama. Mm. So often when we hurt ourselves, we run to our mother. And yes. we're hurting now as a nation, as a world. We turn to, to Mary. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus Holy Mary, Mother of
0: God, pray Pray for for us sinners, sinners, now at the the hour hour of our death. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send him an email at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. Visit us on the web at thecatholiccafe.com. You can also find us on iTunes or follow us on Facebook and Twitter. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe, serving up salvation, one cup of coffee at a time.